Good morning. Take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 93. This week I was stopped in my tracks as I was listening to an interview with a pastor from Brooklyn, well-known pastor. The interviewer said something and it's just kind of gotten stuck in my mind and heart this week. They were encouraging pastors. The interviewer made this statement, discouragement is a temporary loss of perspective. A temporary loss of perspective. Discouragement is one of Satan's favorite tools to deploy to get the church off track. You see, when the enemy comes after you with discouragement, newsflash, you are not the bullseye of the enemy's endgame. He's come to disrupt your life to affect your family and to disrupt your family's life to try to shake the church of the living God. Because the enemy, I, I don't want you to think more highly of your... Well, let me say it this way. I don't want to think more highly of myself than I ought. I don't want to put you down to start with. But um, I, I'm not sure that I'm at the top of the enemy's list, but I know the church of the living God is. So, so when the enemy comes with discouragement, we, we get a wrong view of God and a wrong view of the thing, our circumstance, the trial, the whatever it is. We, we give the circumstance more power than it can possibly have and God less than he deserves. It's like we view the, the thing as 20 miles high and God as three inches tall and somewhere removed. That's discouragement. That can cause us to spiral quickly unless we run to Jesus. And what do I mean when I say run to Jesus? That's churchy talk. What I mean is to see what the Bible says is the truth. To get into the Word of God and, and to get on your knees before a holy God and spend time with the Lord and let Him reorient your perspective. Whatever you're in, whatever it is for you, the thick of it, a, a low view of God will always rob you of victory. You're clawing in the mire when you have a low view of God. Regardless of the outcome of your trial, you can still have victory. I'm convinced of that. As we come to Psalm 93, I, I, let me just remind you about the Psalms. Many of them were written as songs bundled together. Uh, they're poetry. Now they're God's word without any error or mixture of error, but poetry reads differently than history, which reads differently than prophecy. Poetry applies differently than other parts of biblical literature. And yet poetry makes up one-third of the pages of your Bible. There's poetry in a third of the content. The poetry of Psalms in the Old Testament focuses on our emotional response to God, and it seems also to give voice to our emotional response to those who are hostile to God and His people. So keep that in mind while you're reading through the Psalms. Now, some of the hostility that um, is pointed toward God's people were of their own making. <laughs> time after time, God's people were faced with what seemed to be impossible situations, obstacles that were so high and so mighty that they were crushing the spirit of Israel's king and the people around him and the nation as a whole. 
Some of this was their bed they made and they had to lay in it, right? If you know anything about Israel history, and we'll go through it quickly in a few moments. Some of it, though, was not of their own making. We call that adversity. Like when you didn't ask for it, right? But you have a pulse and trouble came, right? That's happened to at least one or two of us in the room, I'm sure. I know I told you to turn to Psalm 93, but if you'll keep your thumb there and flip maybe a page over, I don't know how big your print is. Mine keeps getting bigger the older I get, but even with good glasses, right? Psalm 89 closes out with this desperate cry of discouragement. Now, it looks like God's promises might not be realized. It it looks like God is about to pour out his wrath. Here's the context, you ready? David's house is in shambles. The crown is in the dust. Uh, The anointed were in the crosshairs of God's wrath. The foundations of everything familiar seemed to be shaken at the core. And if you look at Psalm 89, hear the psalmist cry out. Look with me, let's start in verse uh, 46. How long, O Lord, will you hide yourself forever? How long will your wrath burn like fire? Remember how short my time is. For what vanity you have created all the children of man. What man can live and and never see death? Who can deliver his soul from the power of Sheol? Selah. Lord, where is your steadfast love of old? Which by your faithfulness you swore to David. Remember, O Lord, how your servants are mocked and how I bear in my heart the insults of all the many nations with which your enemies mock, O Lord, with which they mock the footsteps of your anointed. And then verse 52, I'm going to be completely honest and transparent with you. It feels like a throwaway. It feels like something the psalmist felt like he had to say because he knew he was singing a song to God. This is a hard lament of the psalmist. And then he says, blessed be the Lord forever. Amen and amen. In the south, it goes like this. You tear somebody down for something, and then at the end of it, you say, but bless her heart. Right? Y'all heard people do that? Now, I ain't one to gossip, so you ain't heard this from me. And then you unload, and then you say, but God bless her heart. She's sweet. Not according, like, they seem to contradict each other. This psalmist here is desperate. He's saying, where are you, God? Do you know where I am? I don't have much time down here. Where is that love that you promised? Where is that faithfulness that we've heard so much about? We are taking a beating down here. Do you see? Do you care? Then you come to Psalm 90, and you find Moses interceding for the people of God. Then you work through Psalm 91, and I just remember it from the King James, maybe some of you memorize it. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. There's a rescuer, a champion that begins to be introduced. It's not of this world. Then Psalm 1 and 2 become reality in Psalm 92, and then we come to Psalm 93, which kicks off this victory chant. Everything is still in shambles. But the song has changed the meter. Psalm 93 runs all the way to Psalm 99 with this same pitch and tempo of this great praise to an unshakable, all-powerful king. God's word is awesome, isn't it? It's so God. It's so awesome. God's word is awesome, but maybe your life isn't right now. 
Maybe you're on the brink of discouragement for one reason or another, and maybe you found yourself seated in the pew or watching on a little screen or big screen, however you're watching today, maybe listening to the podcast, and you're saying to yourself, where are you, God? Do you even know what's going on in my life? I'm taking a beating down here. The church keeps getting a black eye. Do you see? Do you care? It's a loss of perspective. It makes your circumstances 20 feet tall and God three inches high. It ascribes power to your problem that it doesn't have and it tricks you into thinking that God is powerless, distant, and disinterested in what you're going through. Now, we come to Psalm 93. I want you to chew on the first three words of Psalm 93. Let's put it on the screen. I'm just going to read verses 1 and 2 to you. You ready? The Lord reigns. Can you say that with me? One, two, three. The Lord reigns. And I, I don't want to give you a mantra this week, but it'd be good for you to get that on your breath. It'd be good if every time you look at your watch, if you put a little dot somewhere on your watch to remind you just to say, the Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He has put on strength as his belt. I put on a belt this morning. It wasn't strength. He put strength on as his belt. The world is established. It shall never be moved. His throne is established from of old. He is from everlasting. Before we get too far in the text, maybe you just meditate on that reality. The Lord reigns. Pray with me. Father, you reign. You reign in glory. You reign in majesty. You reign forever. You are the king. Even though man competes, with that throne, you alone are king, and you are king eternally. You reign in Jesus' name. Amen. That's your first point this morning. The Lord reigns. That word reigns is the word malak. It's the Hebrew word that, that's the verb implying a completed action. It's, it's present tense in its expression, but it's an established Condition, And then there's a time stamp to it in the text we just read from um old. That's the beginning. That's the way the psalmist would talk about eternity past and the beginning of creation. And forevermore, that's an eternal state. So his kingship is timeless. Verse 1 and 2 tells us something very important this morning. Newsflash to all of the things competing for your attention. The Lord reigns. He is robed like a king because he is king. He's robed in majesty and power. He wears strength for a belt. His throne is in heaven. It has been established. His throne is established and will forever be established. He is the everlasting king. Our God reigns. The Lord reigns. He's enthroned in heaven. The Bible says in Psalm 89 that righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. So when he reigns, he reigns correctly. In Psalm 103, we learn that the Lord reigns over everything, whether we see it or not, whether you believe it or not, whether you feel it or not. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Say all. 
It all means all. You know what all means in the original language? All. He rules over all. He reigns above. He reigns over all. And his reign is forever. Psalm 45 says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprightness. The Lord reigns. The Lord reigns. He's robed in majestic robes of glory. The Lord reigns armed with all strength and power. I've come to remind you this morning, the Lord is in charge. He's in charge. The noise and clamor of this world has no throne. Your pain has no throne. Your circumstance has no throne. The devil himself has no throne. He is only a prince of the fleeting power of the air. Not only do they have no throne, they have no claim to the throne. Our king alone reigns. Some of you can rejoice this morning because you're experiencing that right, right now. You're accepting that and you are walking in that victory. Some of you need to hear that to remind you of what you already know. And some of you are struggling. This may come as a newsflash this morning. You've had a temporary loss of perspective. I want to help correct your vision this morning. The Lord reigns and nothing else does. Nothing else does. This week, I hope those three words just stay on your spirit. I hope they stay on your brain. I hope they stay at the front of your prayer life this week. Because the Lord reigns, the earth is established, the psalmist said. Did you see it there at the end of verse 1? Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Psalm 96 says the world is established. It shall never be moved. It says this again. Psalm 46.5 says God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. That's the earth. For he, for, he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Psalm 78. He built his sanctuary like high heavens, which he has founded forever like the earth. Psalm 119. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth and it stands fast. God's throne and the world that he created are firmly fixed. Everything else will pass away. What a blessing. The Lord reigns. Now, when I think about the Lord reigning, I think about him high and up on the throne. And that's awesome, but that's still in the realm of a little bit of the theoretical, isn't it? Like, I, Pastor, I'm with you. The Lord reigns. You've said it a thousand times. Gotcha. You're going to win the point for driving it home. But I'm dealing with something right now in front of me. And I appreciate that he's on the throne, but I need him here now. I'm glad you said that. Look at verse 3 with me, please. The Lord is mightier. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their roaring. The second thing I want you to write down this morning is the Lord is mightier. He reigns and he is mightier. Look at the mighty roar of the floods they're loud. Think about floodwaters. They rage. They're dangerous. They're consuming. They're destructive. They're deadly. And they seem constant. Now, when Old Testament writers wrote about raging waters or floodwaters, they were often used as symbols. And there are two main things that they would illustrate when they wrote about this. Number one, were shocker politicians that thought more highly of themselves than they ought. 
But the Bible's just so out of touch with today, isn't it? No, they, they, they thought of these rulers that tried to set themselves up as above God and nations that would rattle against and rage against the people of God. And, and they would refer to this as the roaring floodwaters or the raging waters. Okay? The second more general category of the symbolism of that picture is this uncontrolled chaos. Like where people have lost their, we used to say, ever-loving mind. The Bible's so out of touch, isn't it? Just, wow. I tell you what, it's more up-to-date than your news feed that you refreshed this morning before you got to church. They're saying these, these things are loud. They're so loud. Now, Israel knew something about chaos and about wicked rulers. Uh, I, I think... Um, my Old Testament survey prof may give me a check for this this morning. Let me, let me give you a quick and very brief history of uh, Israel. Think with me. From the call of Abraham in Genesis 12 to, to the birth of Christ is about 2,000 years. Uh, they, they were sojourners for a while. They, they put down roots in Egypt, and that started well. It did not end well. Um, it ended quite horrifically, actually. God rescues them from Moses and they wandered through, uh, God rescued them rather through Moses and they wandered through the desert and tested God's patience for 40 years before finally moving into the promised land. That led uh, to the period of the judges. Remember where everybody did what was right in their own eyes. Again, so completely foreign to anything we're experiencing today, right? That led to the period of Judges, which was one of the worst eras in all of Old Testament history. Then Saul takes the throne, becoming Israel's first king. The monarchy period is off to a bumpy start. David takes the throne and rules for 40 years. David's son Solomon takes the throne, builds the temple, and rules for 40 years. And this is what's referred to as the Golden Age of the New Testament. But don't blink, because everything unravels rather quickly. The kingdom is divided. The northern kingdom eventually is conquered by Assyria. That's terrible. The, the southern king lasts a little bit longer, but then is conquered by Babylon. Horrific. Um, then comes a series of occupations. Uh, after Babylon, it's Persia, and then Greece, and then Rome. This is the history of God's Old Testament people. 2,000 years of raging waters. 2,000 years of sin and suffering, 80 years of relative peace, but not devoid of sin. These people knew the sound of raging waters. They knew floods lifting up their voice. No wonder so much of the Psalms are Psalms of lament. God, where are you? Do you see what we're going through? Your history, your present thing that you're going through may not be quite as sensational as the history of Israel. But you know the sound of raging waters. They're loud. They're dangerous. They're consuming. They're deadly. And they drown out the truth. Loneliness can be loud. Discouragement can be suffocating. Dismay can be deadly. But I wonder if you'd look with me at verse 4, and let's read this out loud together. I'll put it on the screen. Verse 4 of Psalm 93. Ready? Mightier than the thunders of many waters, 
Mightier than the waves of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. Let that sink in for just a moment. When the roar of circumstances gets almost deafening, I want you to remember the Lord is mightier. When the rulers of nations are poking their finger right into the eye of God with their godless antichrist mandates trying to bury the church in an oppressive voice, I want you to remember the Lord is mightier. When society as a whole has lost its ever-loving mind and it looks like chaos is the law of the land and you can't stop the noise, fret not for evildoers, the Lord is mightier. No matter how many storms the nations on earth seem to work up and how loud they become, no matter how bad the news continues to be, the God of this Bible is still seated on the throne. He is not in the least bit shaken by the things that shake us to the core. The foolish words and the deeds of these great leaders that are in front of us today will fall to the ground from whence they were made. Don't focus on the threats around you. Focus on the throne above you. And remember, the Lord is mightier. Psalm 65 tells us the one who by his strength established the mountains, being girded with his might, who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, the tumult of the peoples. Psalm 92 tells us the Lord is great. He has great works. His thoughts are very deep. The stupid man cannot know, the fool cannot understand this, that though the wicked sprout like grass and evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. But you, O Lord, are on high forever. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. This is who we are. It's who God made us. Why? Because the Lord reigns and he's mightier. And when he saved you, he saved you to be a messenger to the world. It says the Lord reigns. And the Lord is mighty. A messenger to your circumstances. Mm-mm. The Lord reigns and the Lord is mightier. Now, just a word, it popped into my head. I don't want to chase this rabbit too long, but on that last part of that verse, 2 Corinthians 10, 5, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. Lofty, it seems high. It seems like it's accepted. It seems like high thinking. I'm going to tell you something. Rebellion against the creation order is exalting itself against the knowledge of God. Not only do I reject it, I can't affirm someone who's in line with it because to do that would be for me to bear false witness to this book. I'm not going to do it. You're not going to compel my speech. God's going to compel it. You're not going to tell me how to say uh, everybody's worried about uh, pronouns. We need to be worried about action verbs. It says the Lord reigns and the Lord is mightier. And God's word is forever settled in heaven. When I think about the Lord reigning, I mentioned it earlier, I think about him reigning above with his authority. When I think about the Lord being mightier, I think about him being near and stronger. He's right there in the midst. He's standing on the bow of the ship saying, peace, 
Be still, right in the thick of it. When I read the last verse of this text, it leads me to our third point that points us to the fact that the Lord is faithful. He's so faithful. Whether you see that He's faithful, whether you are experiencing His faithfulness right now that you can put your finger on or not, the Lord is faithful. It's just who He is. Look with me at the very last verse of this passage. The Bible says, Your decrees are very trustworthy. Now let's be honest. If the Bible would have said, Your decrees are trustworthy, that's enough. Period. Like, that's enough. But look at the emphasis here. Your decrees are very trustworthy. Holiness befits your house. O Lord, forevermore. Listen, God's rule is eternal, God's might is eternal, and God's word is eternal. The word used here for decrees is the word adut. It could be translated testimonies. Some of your Bibles may have it rendered as testimonies. When we say testimonies, we mean God's laws, His instructions, His promises, His rebukes, His encouragements. All of that together make up the decrees or the testimonies of God's gracious rule. Now, with all that we see around us that's broken, and there's a lot of beauty around us. Please don't hear me say everything's awful all the time. But there's a lot of beauty around us. But of all that we see around us that is broken, we need to remember, sometimes it's, it's difficult for us not to transfer that when we think about God being a king and we think like maybe it's a democracy. It's not a democracy. He, he sits on the throne all by himself. He was not an elected ruler. He is the I Am. And he is king. God's holiness demands that all of his creatures submit to his law. His steadfast love and mercy is so great, though, that for those who do submit to his law, watch this, I love this, they will be under the control of the only one who reigns and is mightier than the waters that he created. There's nothing that comes at you that is outside the power of an almighty God who reigns and who is mightier. Isaiah would say this, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I've called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. God is faithful and he's present. This God, his way is perfect, the psalmist said in Psalm 1830. The word of the Lord proves True, it proves true, and it has for all these years. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in Him. Psalm 19, one of my favorite passages about the faithfulness of God's Word. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much more than fine gold. Sweeter also than the honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. I want you to get into God's word like your life depends on it. Because it does. It does. If not, you'll believe a lie so quickly it will blow your mind. If you don't shut off some of the other feeds. 
and get into the Word of God. God's Word is trustworthy. It is very trustworthy. In a world of fake news, God's Word is trustworthy. In a world and a day in which doctrinal confusion is among the professing church of the Lord Jesus Christ, God's Word is still trustworthy. I don't care what resolutions are drafted by any body. If they're not in line with this word, they are out of line with the God of this Bible. And they don't get to call themselves a church under the authority of God's word. God's word is trustworthy regardless of what men say or do. God's word is trustworthy even when the nations rage. And I'm going to tell you something right here, right now. Mark this down. I may be small in stature, but I got a big voice. If it becomes so unpopular and so marginalized and so toxic in our sin-soaked society and culture that we, that I become a target of persecution for standing on the promises of God, let them come, let them threaten, let them strip away my freedoms because the Lord reigns, the Lord is mightier, and the Lord is faithful. We need to have a theology of getting fired for the truth of God and be ready to take the consequences. This day of timid Christianity is gone. That's not advanced the kingdom one iota. The kingdom of God is advanced by force when the people of God are on their knees and in the word and showing up in the dark places to proclaim the light of the Lord Jesus Christ. Time is short. You need to worry less about that 401k and start worrying about the legacy you're leaving behind for generations who don't yet know the Lord. The Lord reigns. The Lord is mighty. The Lord is faithful. Let the people of God say amen. As Julia comes this morning, I want to take this forward just a bit and say ultimately, I want you to think about God's reign and his might and his faithfulness. Where was that the most visible? We can point to some high points in Israel's history, but they were fleeing. Where was that the most visible here on earth? You know where it was? In the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. God sent Jesus with the power to resist sin and defeat Satan. Because of that, as we place our trust in Him day by day. Now, let me just say a word when I say place our trust in Him. Yes, I'm talking to those who don't know the Lord personally as Savior. You need to fall on Jesus. You need to see Him as the only one who reigns, as the only one who's mighty to save to the uttermost. You need to recognize your need for a Savior and call on Jesus. But when I talk about trusting God, I'm talking to my brothers and sisters in Christ who every morning you roll out of bed, you need to remind yourself, Lord, you reign. Lord, you are mightier, you are faithful, and I trust you. For those who put our trust in him day by day, walking by the Spirit of God, we begin to live a life of love and light like we've been talking about in John, which the law has always pointed to. We get to experience the blessings that God promised. Think about it. This Levite that penned Psalm 93, everything was still in shambles. And what has he taught us? When the floodwaters were raging, the Lord reigns and he's majestic. He established the world. He is everlasting. The uh, The Lord is mightier than the storm and his word is trustworthy. In addition to my daily Bible reading, 
One of the things that I do is I grab a handful of psalms, not randomly, there's a system to it, but I grab a handful of psalms, five, usually a day, and usually one or two of those will prompt me in praying in a very specific way, and I will pray the psalms. Uh, I'll just ask the Lord, and, and the Lord ministers to me in that way. I, I love it. Um, I, I want to give you a help this morning from Psalm 93. Before she starts playing and we move into, into reflection, I want to put it on the screen for you this morning and ask you to join me in prayer. If I were writing out some prayer prompts for Psalm 93, they, they, it would be something like this. Lord, you reign and you are mightier than, and that's where you would talk to God about that thing that you're facing. Why don't you do that just quietly now? Lord, you, your word steadies my heart when, what are the things raging for your attention? Lord, remind me that you are eternal as I face this temporary issue of whatever that is. These things are in your notes. I'll put them online later this week to help you, but. I wonder how we might surrender now. I'll put another prompt up for surrender as we go to the Lord in prayer. You are mightier, you are near, and you are strong. Lord, you are faithful. Help us to devour your word as it points us to the truth and to who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.